Congregation, please rise. To the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord for our sermon consideration today comes to us from the book of the prophet Zechariah, chapter 3. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they put the clothes on him, and the angel of the Lord stood by. Then the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you walk in my ways, and if you keep my command, then you shall also judge my house, and likewise have charge of my courts. I will give you places to walk among these who stand here. Hear, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your companions who sit before you, for they are a wondrous sign. For behold, I am bringing forth my servant, the branch. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua, upon the stone are seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave its inscription, says the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, everyone will invite his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree. So far, God's holy word. Congregation may be seated. In the name of our Savior Jesus, who was promised from of old and revealed to Israel and to us through many signs, dear friends in Christ. You may remember from much earlier in Scripture than here in Zechariah, when the triune God separated the nations of the earth at the Tower of Babel by giving them all different languages. The triune God did a thorough job on that day because here we sit 4,200 years later after the fact and we still have not mastered that language barrier that exists between nations. With all the technological advancements and the supposed wisdom of this age, we still have found only meager and often insufficient means to stumble around in a foreign country asking where the closest restaurant is or where the nearest bathroom is. One might think that an easy solution to this would be to come up with a universal sign language. After all, every nation in the world has people who need sign language to communicate. And yet, even sign language has its language barrier from nation to nation. 
You have American Sign Language, you have British Sign Language, you have French Sign Language, you have Chinese Sign Language, Brazilian Sign Language, and Indo-Pakistani Sign Language. Universal Sign Language apparently does not exist. Except when we look at Scripture and see when the Lord uses Sign Language to communicate with us. Not with hand gestures, but with recorded visions and with analogies, with symbols in Scripture, does the Lord often and effectively reveal His will to us. This is both a universal sign language that is meant for everyone, and it's also universal in that everyone can understand it with the help of the Holy Spirit. These signs that God spoke to Israel through Zechariah are for us today as well. And so this morning we will be taking a look at God's universal sign language in Zechariah chapter 3. Firstly, a brand pulled from a blazing fire, a priest cleansed from putrid filth, and a line formed from everlasting love. May the Spirit bless our meditation today. Now a little bit of background, the prophet Zechariah lived around the time that Israel returned from the Babylonian captivity. Cyrus the Great came and set Israel free so that they could go back to their homelands with abundant wealth to rebuild the nation of Israel. And that seems to make a lot of sense when you think of the Lord's deliverance from captivity, and then you read verses 1 and 2 of our text. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? The Lord uses his universal sign language to refer to Israel as a brand or a piece of iron that is pulled from the fire. And when first reading through this text, the temptation is for us to think that the fire that the brand of Israel was pulled from was, in fact, the captivity in Babylon. This obviously was the most recent occurrence in their history of deliverance, and yet we need to stop and consider if that is actually what the Lord is communicating here. Because Satan is in this picture as well. The angel of the Lord rebukes Satan by the power of God, claiming Israel back for himself. If the enemy here pictured would have been Nebuchadnezzar, one might say, then the Babylonian exile would have been a much more likely thing that the Lord is speaking of. But because it is Satan, we get the idea that there was a much larger fire, a much bigger problem that was going on in Israel their own idolatry and unbelief. You see, God's Old Testament people in Israel prior to the exile, if left to their own devices, stood in grave danger, not only of losing their earthly father hand by foreign invaders, but losing their heavenly fatherland. And by lovingly chastening Israel and allowing them to be taken captive, the Lord carried out his plan to return Israel's heart to himself, to reclaim their devotion and loyalty and faithfulness. 
which became the overarching theme of this book of Zechariah. The Lord says in chapter 1, Return to me, and I will return to you. This is an important perspective for us to consider today as well. When the Lord sends fiery trials into our lives, we often focus on the immediate and the visible threat. Perhaps the loss of income, the loss of a family member, sorrow, guilt, loneliness. But here in Hebrews chapter 12, that the Lord chastens those whom he loves. God uses these trials and these hardships, these exiles, if you will, to bring us closer to him. Not always as a direct punishment for any particular sin, but in order to save us from the very real and very dangerous threat that we all face. Satan, who uses his cunning accusations and his clever devices to try and strip us of our faith. Now, this understanding that Israel was pulled from the fire of spiritual danger is backed up by the next place that God uses his universal sign language to Isaiah, a priest who is cleansed of his putrid filth. Verses 3 through 5 read, Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they put the clothes on him. And the angel of the Lord stood by. The Joshua that Zechariah here sees in his vision is not the same Joshua that most of us think of when we're thinking of Joshua's in the Old Testament. It's not the successor of Moses who led Israel through Canaan as they uh, took that land for the Lord's purposes. This Joshua served as the high priest in the temple at the time of the prophet Zechariah. The only problem was that he was absolutely filthy. And this was a huge problem. Now, we usually try and dress nicely for church services, at least wear clean clothes. Taking a shower that morning is recommended. But here we talk about the royal or the priesthood in the Old Testament. They had to carry out these purification rituals. It was part of their job description to be exceptionally clean before they came before the Lord to carry out their duties for worship. God demanded it in no uncertain terms in Exodus 29, Exodus 30, Exodus 40, Numbers 8, Numbers 19, and it's even referenced in several Psalms, Psalm 26 and 73, among others. This is God's universal sign language telling Israel and telling us clearly and loudly that you cannot come into the presence of God unless you are completely clean. Joshua had no business coming before the Lord in the state that he is described as being in. Imagine a king inviting you to dinner and you show up in a smelly, stained burlap sack with holes cut out for your arms and legs. 
That is what sin does to a person. We have no business coming before God on our own any more than Joshua did. We also lack that spiritual purity and cleanliness that God demands. We have no righteousness to cover up all of our filth and sin and shame. And so what did the Lord do? What was the solution to this problem? Did he say, go Joshua and clean yourself up? Go Joshua and figure it out on your own. Get your ducks in a row. That's what the world's solution to sin is, isn't it? Do better. Clean up your own act. But Isaiah, who prophesied of the Babylonian exile, wrote, All our righteous deeds are as filthy rags. We can do nothing to cover up our sin and shame on our own. And so the Lord solves the problem himself. He commands that Joshua's filthy garments be taken from him, and he promises him rich robes. He places a clean turban on his head so that the high priest is clean and righteous in the sight of God. And he says, I have removed your iniquity from you. This is God's sign language showing us that the work of cleansing, the work of forgiveness, the work of making one righteous is entirely a one-sided work. Theological term for that is monergism. God is the one who does everything. We play no part in our own justification. God alone has taken away our sin and iniquity and removed our transgressions from us as only he can and only he has done. And he tells us how he has accomplished this by using his universal sign language a third time in verses 8 through 10. Hear, O Joshua the high priest, you and your companions who sit before you, for they are a wondrous sign. For behold, I am bringing forth my servant, the branch. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua, upon the stone are seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave its inscription, says the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, everyone will invite his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree. The Old Testament priesthood is one of the most powerful and clear signs that the Lord gives us in Scripture, and it's packed with theological significance. Not because the priests themselves, or priests in this day and age, are anything special, but because the office of the priest makes it abundantly clear to anyone who looks at it that someone has to intercede in the work of atonement. Someone has to be that go-between between God and man in order to make satisfaction. Now the priests did this in the Old Testament by offering animal sacrifices, but these sacrifices too were also a sign, a reminder, an arrow pointing ahead to the one who is here called the branch. And later in Zechariah, the branch of righteousness, namely Jesus Christ. Priesthood is a wondrous sign, a line formed from God's everlasting love, using the tribe of Levi 
to show that God will provide someone to reconcile himself and sinful man, showing God's everlasting love and promise to send a once-for-all high priest who would make that once-for-all sacrifice for the sins of the world. It's by Christ's redeeming work that Satan has been rebuked forever. His accusations and his snares reduced to empty words and vain threats. It is by the perfect righteousness of the Son of God that our putrid filth of iniquity has been covered and removed from us, delivering us from the fires of eternal torment. It is by this branch of David that we have access to the Father and can stand before him holy and blameless on the last day. That last day, which the Lord speaks to Zechariah and says that he will remove all iniquity from the land in one day. All sin and sorrow and death will be done away with when Jesus returns in triumphant glory and takes us all to be with him in paradise. The vine of plenty and the fig tree of rest will be ours when we are joined to our Savior's side without any want or worry for all eternity. All because of God's line of everlasting love, which was culminated on that glorious Easter morning, accompanied by the angel's song of praise. He is risen, just as he said. Now you might be saying, looking through this text, well, hey pastor, you missed one. What about that stone with the seven eyes in verse 9? Well, I'll be honest with you and level with you. For all the clear sign language and the universal sign language that the Lord uses in Zechariah 3, this is one section that is not clear for us. This is not a problem with God's word. This is a problem with us sinful men trying to understand it. Now, Zechariah 4 speaks of a stone with seven eyes as the foundation of the temple. And so it's quite possible that this is what the Lord is referring to here. Also sounds a lot like certain portions of John's Revelation. Frankly, there are certain sections in these visions, in Revelation and Daniel, that we don't know exactly what they mean. They are not clear to us. But does that negate any of the clarity already offered regarding the branch, Jesus of Nazareth, or his birth, his life, his sacrificial death, and his glorious resurrection? Do any of these things take away what we know about sin and grace and the salvation we have in Jesus? No, of course not. God has clearly revealed to Zechariah, to Israel, and to all people the complete removal of iniquity that he has accomplished through our own great high priest and savior from sin. Here in Zechariah, God has spoken to us using his clear universal sign language to reveal his love and his will. We are the brand pulled from the fire of eternal torment, God using trials in our lives to bring us closer to him. We are the priest that has been cleansed from his putrid and filthy rags and made acceptable to worship our God and Savior. 
We are the ones for whom the line of the priesthood was established and promised in order to remind us of Jesus, who came to offer himself as the sacrifice in our place and to restore peace between God and men, so that the praises of the angels on that Christmas night might ring true today, just as they did the first time they were spoken. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. In Jesus' saving name, amen. Please rise.